Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. I'd like for us to take some time today and talk through um, lost and found. I'd like for us to take some time today and look at a passage of scripture in Luke, the 15th chapter. Uh, This is a passage of scripture that uh, you may be familiar with. You may have heard dozens or hundreds of messages about uh, these stories that we're going to look at today. Or maybe you've never heard these stories. And you know what? If that's the case, I'm so glad that you're here because these are great stories that Jesus teaches, uh, teaches us through. And so <clears throat> I want us to look at Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. It says this, so he, Jesus, told them this parable, a parable, and there are three parables that we're going to look at today. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's oftentimes how Jesus would teach. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. So just so. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You see, here's the thing that we see in all of these stories today. I'm going to give you the answer right from the start. We serve a God who is focused on finding what's lost. We serve a God who is focused and intentional about finding the one more that's lost and making them found. We've had a saying at our church, it's actually our kind of our mission vision statement. It was around when Pastor Tom was part of our church. And I'll ask people on a during a weekend service, I'll say, what are we about at Cornerstone Church? And they will always respond to me and they will say, one more. They'll shout it out from the seat, one more. And many of them will oftentimes put up their corner, we call it the cornerstone finger. And they'll say, one more. And we always hope that it's the cornerstone finger when they put it up, right? You know what I'm saying? And so I'll say, what are we about? And they'll say, one more. We at Cornerstone Church are about one more fully alive in Christ. We want to help one more person become fully alive in Jesus Christ. And so, as we talk about finding the one more today, this is is a scriptural mandate for all of us, for every believer in every church. Jesus said in Luke 19, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
And so if that's why the Son of Man came, then we should also carry that mandate along with us. We should carry that great commission, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And so today isn't going to likely, if you've been around church for any measure of time, it's likely not going to be anything that's radically new information for you. Today is going to be a little bit more like sometimes what a parent does with, with our kids. If you're a parent in the house today, you know that sometimes your kids don't always remember the things that they need to remember. Can I get an amen? Can I get a, yeah, that's right, pastor, cook it with gas, brother, you know, whatever. And, uh, and so today, today is really a reminder for us today, because I know that this church is committed to reaching lost people and making them found. But today is a reminder for us. I want to remind you today of something that is so critical to the mission of following Jesus Christ. I want to remind us of that, that God is focused and intentional about finding what is lost and making them found. And so, just as a parent reminds their, their child, that's oftentimes a role that we play as pastors, is we remind the church body about things that are important. And we're taking on that role of reminding, not because I can't speak for Pastor Tom, but I can speak for myself. I'm not bringing a reminder because I've got this all down. And I don't have to think about it or worry about it because I don't have that all down. But I want God to continue to grow in me. I want him to grow in our church. I want him to grow in the church. I want him to grow in this church. And I want him to, I, I, I'm believing that he's going to make lost things found. So as we look at this passage today in verses 3 to 7, in this story of the lost sheep, we want to t talk for a few moments about finding the one more. And if we're going to find the one more, it will require us to live an inconvenienced life. Finding the one more requires an inconvenienced life. Jesus says in this story, he says, what shepherd wouldn't go after the lost sheep? Of course a shepherd will go search out and find the one who's wandered, the one who's alone, the one who's isolated, the one who's vulnerable, the one who's at risk. Of course the shepherd will leave the 99 and go after the one. But that doesn't mean it's easy or it's convenient. It's oftentimes inconvenient. When that sheep would wander off, it was inconvenient for the shepherd. But nevertheless, it's something the shepherd does. And we ought to be going after the one mores. We as a church ought to be reaching beyond, reaching further. I'm thankful that this is a church that reaches into this community of Salem, Oregon, and that this is a church that reaches beyond the city of, of Salem, Oregon, and honestly, to the farthest places around the globe. And and so, it is not convenient to reach like that. And I don't know about you, but I, I love convenience. 
I love microwaves, I love drive-throughs. I love to make things easier rather than harder. But Jesus, as we see him walk through the Gospels, we see a God-man who, his, his life, his days are constantly riddled with inconveniences. My wife and family and I lived in the same house in Austin, Minnesota for 21 years, and about three years ago we moved to a new home, a different home. And so we've lived there for about three years, we're loving it, and we've gotten to know most of our neighbors, uh, our immediate neighbors. But then there's a, a secondary ring of neighbors that we haven't gotten to know at all or very well. And so a couple weeks ago, I was at my house and there was a knock on the door and I opened up the door and it was one of our secondary neighbors who lives just down from us and it was he and his, his kids. And the kids had flyers in their hands and they said, hey, we want to invite you to this. And they handed me a flyer for a neighborhood pickleball party. Any pickleball players here? Okay. Um, I've not played a lot of pickleball. I've played when I've been on vacation in Florida a couple times, but other than that, not at all. And, uh, and I, I looked at it and I thought, oh, this is great. I'd love to play some pickleball. Um, and it'd be a great way to, you know, get to know some of my neighbors. And maybe God would do something with that at some point in time. And as I, I took the flyer and I said, thanks so much. I'm going to put this on my calendar and, and I closed the door, they went on their way to the next neighbor's house, and then I, I looked at the flyer, and then reality set in for me. Because on that flyer it said that the neighborhood pickleball party was going to be at 2 p.m. on Sunday. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the thing. I'm a pastor. And so let me give you the simple rundown of my Sunday schedule. My Sunday schedule is this. Pray, preach, eat, sleep. I love to take a nap when I get done with lunch after church because I'm spent, I'm exhausted. And, and so I thought, oh, they're doing it during Dave Simerson prime napping zone time span. And I thought, oh, I'd love to do this, but that's the last thing that I want to do on a Sunday right after church. And so the weekend got closer. And I watched the forecast. And as I was watching the forecast, as it got a day out from Sunday, the forecast said that all day on Sunday was going to be rainy and thunderstorms. And me being the deeply spiritual person I am that wants to connect with my neighbors, I said, yes. <laughs> oh, God, you're so good to me. You are faithful. Jehovah Jireh, thank you for providing these storms for me because <laughs> I don't want to do this then. And then something else happened. The meteorologist was wrong. And so at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, it was bright, sunshiny afternoon. And so I was driving home after church and after lunch, and, 
and I drove by my neighbor's house, and I looked, and I, I saw a bunch of my neighbors congregated over there, and I thought, rats. They're, 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 they're really doing it. And then as I drove by, they hollered at me, hey, are you coming over? And I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm in. And uh, so I went home and I changed my clothes and I went over there. And these people are pickleball enthusiasts. They, they have a pickleball court poured in their backyard. They have a slab of concrete specifically for pickleball. And so I went over there and we played pickleball and we laughed and we hustled and we played hard. And I'm not an expert pickleball player, but we had a great time and you know what? I got to know some of their names that I didn't know before. And they got to know me a little bit more. And if they hit a bad shot and they swore, they'd look at me and they'd say, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't hear that, you didn't hear that. I'm like, it's okay. And I played pickleball that afternoon for three hours. And when I walked away from that, I thought, God, that was great. Because when we finished, they said, we're going to do this every Monday night at 6 p.m. Anybody who wants to play pickleball, come on over at 6 p.m. and we'll just play. And so now I have a standing arrangement that when I'm home on a Monday at 6 p.m., I can go play pickleball with my new friends. And I don't know where my new friends are at in their journey with Christ. I don't know if they even have a journey with Christ. But I'm believing that even in the midst of my inadequacies and even in the midst of me being like, oh man, I don't want to be inconvenienced with this at the wrong time, that even when we give God that simple step of faith into the inconvenience, that God honors that, that God hears our heart and that God begins to do something in us. And then he also begins to do something through us. So I'm praying that at some point in the future, there is going to be some fruit that's born because of this simple inconvenience. Because if we're going to find the one more, it's going to require us to live an inconvenienced life. And I have a simple question for you today. When I'm not asking this as an indictment, because I'm indicted. But when is the last time you've been inconvenienced for the gospel? Has it ever happened? When was the last time that you were inconvenienced for the gospel? Because it happened to Jesus frequently. We look a little further in verses 8 to 10. Or what woman having ten silver coins if she loses one coin? Does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. You see, notice in these stories, you'll notice the word until. The shepherd goes until the lost sheep is found. The lady searches and cleans and seeks diligently until the lost coin is found. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I've found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, just like finding the one more requires an inconvenienced life, finding the one more requires an uncomfortable life. An uncomfortable life. 
excuse me, requires an uncomfortable heart. The drive that this woman had to find that coin was because that coin had, had meaning and value for her and to her. And so that was causing her this, this sense of, I've got to find this coin. And so I'm going to keep seeking diligently until. And that requires us to push past our comfort zones, to push past our limits. It requires an uncomfortable heart. My, my wife, early on when we were married, she was a substitute teacher and she was teaching one morning in a neighboring town. It was a snowy Minnesota morning. She went to, to school. I got a call about an hour and a half, two hours later. She said, I'm sick to my stomach. And I said, what's wrong? What's going on? She said, I lost my wedding ring. I think I dropped it somehow in the parking lot at the school, and it's been snowing. And they're going to plow the parking lot, and in a little while, it's going to be parent pickup for, for lunch and stuff. And, and we all know how all of those things are, are chaos, and all of those things are one more reason to find out that we can't find this ring. And so I said, I'll come over. And I went over and I looked and I, I didn't find the ring. But you know what? Miraculously, she found her ring. She found it buried under the snow, about an inch under the snow. And <clears throat> she found that ring. But you know what? When she didn't have that ring, she felt sick inside. She felt unsettled. She felt ill at ease. She felt, let me just sum it up for you, she felt like she wanted to throw up. Have you ever had that feeling? Now, I don't wish nausea on any of us. I don't like it. But, sometimes when we have a, an elevated understanding, a greater grasp of the value of someone, all of a sudden when we realize, you know what, that person isn't in a relationship with Christ, that person is far away from God. If that person passed today, they would live in eternity separated from God. When we have an understanding of that, Sometimes there is a heaviness, a burden that comes along with that, that is an inner dread for a moment or for a time. It's ill at ease, and sometimes it's to the point where it might make us feel like we are sick. Why? Because there is so much value. And this person is lost. And so I want us to know today that that uncomfort, you don't always have to wish that away. You can allow that, that discomfort to, to fuel your prayers. You can take that uncomfortable feeling, that uncomfortable sense that you have, which is probably God-given from the Holy Spirit, and you, you can say, Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't understand all of this, but I, I take this that you've given to me and I give it 
I, I give it to you in worship today. I give it to you in prayer today. Drive me to a greater place of prayer with this discomfort today. Drive me to a greater place of reaching further today because of this uncomfortable sense that I have. And just like that woman who diligently sought until, we diligently pray until, we diligently, you know what? When, when we endeavor to reach beyond, it makes us uncomfortable because it can cost us energy and effort. It can cost us time. It costs us frustration. It costs us finances. And you know what? As, as, as we're giving these things in the name of Jesus, as we're praying these things and praying for these people in the name of Jesus, God is shaping the character of our lives and he is breaking down barriers and walls in the hearts of the lost that those who are lost would one day be found because we serve a God who is relentlessly focused on finding and being intentional about the one more. And that can be uncomfortable. That can be messy. Donald McGavern says this, evangelism is not correct theory. Evangelism is seeking and saving sinners. Evangelism is not correct theology. Evangelism is finding lost children of God and bringing them rejoicing into the household of God. Evangelism is bringing lost men to the Savior. That's what evangelism is. And salvation and seeking the lost, it's uncomfortable, it's at times messy. And discipleship, and reaching the lost, it's sometimes uncomfortable and it's messy. There's a family from my church. Uh, before I knew the husband, I knew the wife. And she, she said that one day her husband, Jack, told her young adult kids and her teenagers and her, he said, Carol, I don't love you anymore. I'm, having an, uh, I'm in another relationship with this woman. I'm done with this marriage. I'm moving out. I'm moving in with her. It's over. And Carol, of course, was devastated. But she continued to pray. She continued to pray. And she continued to ask God, God, would you give me, would you bring my husband who's lost? Would you bring him back home? And we agreed in prayer with her, and she prayed, and we prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed a lot more than we prayed. And a year went by, he never came back home. A second year went by, he didn't come back home. At the end of the second year, she received divorce papers from him. He filed for divorce, she signed them, she sent them in. It was legally done and over. The marriage was legally dissolved. But she said, I'm going to continue to pray for God to bring my husband back home. Now, I'm not preaching this as some sort of theology or doctrine about divorce and remarriage and God bringing people home. I'm just saying that this woman had an uncomfortable faith. Because everybody's like, just move on. It's over. At the end of the third year, three years she had prayed, no sign of any change. There's a knock on the door. She opens the door, it's Jack. Jack's kind of a rough cut guy, Harley rider. He's standing at the door and he says, Carol, 
I'm so sorry for every, all the hurt I've caused you and the kids. Can I come back home? She'd prayed for three years. I would think if she prayed for three years and Jack came and said, can I come back home? She would say, yes, this is what I've been praying for. Come back home. But that's not what she said. Carol looked at Jack and she said, you can come back home on one condition, that you come to church with me every weekend. If you're not willing to come to church with me every weekend, you can't move back home. That's bold for somebody who's pleading. And then she, she's this close to the answer to prayer, and then she says, but I'm not willing to settle. I'm willing to push past the limits and be uncomfortable a little bit more. And so Jack said, okay, I'll come to church. And so he started coming to church with Carol. And he came to church with her every Sunday after about three months. I was out in the lobby one day, and at our church, when somebody comes into a relationship with Christ, we give them a new believer's Bible. They, they can pick it up at the, at the counter, at the table on the way out. And so I was out in the lobby talking to some people, and I bumped into Jack, and I was talking with Jack. As I was talking with Jack, he got this grin on his face, and he says, look what I got today. He says, I, I gave my life to Jesus today. And I said, I see that. I said, I love that. It's awesome. Let's, let's grow. And so he kept coming to church, and about six months, six months later, he made the decision to get baptized. And when we have baptism weekend at our church, there's a couple things that we do. First, we bring the kids in from kids' church uh, so that they can see the baptisms. And on this particular Sunday, uh, the kids were brought in and there, was, there were no seats, so the kids sat right on the floor with their legs crossed right in front of the stage with the baptism pool. And, and we show, a, we show a, a, a video testimony and they share their video testimony, then we baptize them, then we show the next video testimony, then we baptize them and so on. And then we also invite friends and family who are there to support the person to come and stand up behind the baptism pool while they're being baptized. So uh, Jack is being baptized and his entire family is standing behind the baptism pool, his wife, all of his kids. And Jack, we show Jack's testimony and then in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we baptize you and we baptize Jack, take him down into the water, bring him back up. He's soaking wet, he gets out of the pool, he's hugging his wife and his kids and he's standing there by the pool and I said, oh, we've, we've, we forgot some of the footage from Jack's testimony. Go ahead and roll that extra footage. And, and so then Jack comes on in another video and he says, Carol and kids, I'm so sorry for the hurt that I've caused you. I'm asking you kids, would you forgive me? I'm asking you, Carol, would you forgive me? And Carol, would you also marry me again? And he's standing there sopping wet in front of this baptism pool and, and Carol is standing there and tears are streaming down her face and now she's sopping wet with tears and she says, yes, yes, I'll, I'll marry you again. And I said, well, it would really not make any sense for us to wait on this. So why don't we have a wedding right here, right now in Sunday morning church on water baptism weekend? And the place just erupted and went crazy. And so 
I pulled out the wedding vows and we went through the wedding vows and, and I said, uh, I said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Jack, you may kiss your bride. And so when Jack kissed Carol, he leaned in and he gave her a big kiss on the lips. Jack and Carol are standing right here in front of the baptism pool. All the kids from Kids Church are sitting right here with almost within an arm's reach. And as Jack kisses Carol, he reaches behind her and, and just grabs and squeezes her behind him. I mean, he just gives a big squeeze. And I'm like, oh boy, whoa, oh praise God, oh boy. And I look down at those kids, and all those kids are spellbound. Their eyes are as big as watermelons. My eyes are huge. And I'm like, oh, Lord, strike them with blindness or something. But then, you know what? It's okay, because they're married now. You know what? Sometimes, sometimes salvation and discipleship, it doesn't come in a tidy box with a nice bow and everything's in place. Sometimes it's pretty messy. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's awkward. But you know what? We serve a God who is relentlessly focused and intentional about the lost. We serve a God. We serve Jesus Christ who is in heaven with all of the glories and the greatness and the perfection of heaven. And Jesus says, I'm going, I'm going to leave heaven and I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to be made in the image of a man. And I am going to live on this earth as a human being and I'm going to die a cruel, hateful death on that cross. Because I have been assigned a mission by the Father, and that is to seek and to save that which is lost. And so he came out of all that perfection to this gigantic mess, and you know what, what the result, what the fruit of that is? Changed lives, changed eternities, changed families. Names that are written down in, in eternity forever. Because he's a God who's not afraid of the uncomfortable mess. We finish up with uh, one last piece of scripture. It says this in verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He divided his property among them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was, bringing, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came home, when he came to himself, his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. This is Jesus telling this story. And so finding the one more is inconveniencing, it's uncomfortable. And finding the one more requires an uncaring attitude. An uncaring attitude, what are you talking about? Say this with me. I don't care. Don't you feel better? I don't care. The father in this story, he didn't care. He would wake up and he would walk out on his front step and he would look out onto the horizon every morning and he would long to see his son who was lost found again. And on this particular day, he looks out at the horizon after some measure of time, we don't know how long, and he sees his boy. And you know what he does then? He does something unheard of, uncharacteristic in this culture of this time. He, he bends down and he, he, he picks up the hem of his, his robe and he lifts it up and he begins to run. He begins to run towards his lost son. And middle-aged and elder men did not do this in this society because it was ill-mannered, it was disgraceful, it was shameful. It, it, it gave off the air of weakness. And do you know what the Father said, who is a representation of our Heavenly Father? The Father says, I don't care. You don't care, Father. Well, it's your reputation. It's your status. People are going to think you're weak. People are going to talk about you at the coffee shop. And he says, I don't care. What I care about is right there. And that's what I am going after. That's what I am focused and intentional about is right there. And so, the father lived with an uncaring attitude. He said, I don't care about my status or my reputation or my look. I care about what's lost, that it would be found. And so I'm going to run. And I'm going to put the robe on him and the, and the ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. And I'm going to kill the fatted calf. Are you playing a fool? He's going to come home. He's going to take all these things. And then he's going to wander off again. And he's going to make you look stupid. I don't. A number of years ago, my wife and I went on our first cruise, and we've since then, we love to go on cruise vacations, but this was our first one. We took off out of the port of San Juan, and we were about six hours from the port on that first night of our first cruise. We were on the, on the deck with our friends, another couple, 
that uh, we were with, and, and uh, we were sitting in the hot tub. There was almost nobody else out on the deck. And our friend says, I think the boat stopped. And I said, you're crazy, the boat didn't stop. A couple minutes later, she says, I think the boat's going in reverse. And I said, I think the boat is going in reverse too. And so I saw some of the crew scurrying around on the deck. I got up and I, I walked over to the, the crew and I said, is something going on? And they said, yes, we have a man overboard. And I was like, for real? I mean, this is our first crew. We're six hours out from port on the first night. I didn't even know that man overboard was a real thing. I thought it was just like in the movies or something. And so they are doing their work, their rescue mission, and nobody's out there. Within minutes, there are 2,000 people on the deck. And the captain comes over the loudspeaker because, you see, as I was sitting, as I was standing there talking to the crew, right after I said, wow, there is a man overboard, all of a sudden, real faintly off in the distance, I heard, help me, help. And I thought, is this going to be the last time anybody hears this man before the sea overtakes him and he drowns? And so now the deck is full of people and the captain comes over the intercom and he says, ladies and gentlemen, please remain completely quiet so that we can do this rescue mission. And so there are 2,000 people on this deck and the, the waters, the seas are pitch dark. They have these million lumen lights that are not piercing the darkness in any way, shape, or form as they're combing the waters overboard on the ship. And so those 2,000 people are standing there completely quiet, and all, all, all of a sudden you hear, help me. And then 2,000 people are pointing in 2,000 different directions. He's over there, he's over there, he's over there, he's over there. After about 35 minutes of looking, they didn't find him. And so then they sent a search and rescue boat into the water. And that boat, just that crew just began to comb in a quadrant off the back flank of the boat. And they did that for about 35 minutes, 35 more minutes in addition to the 35 that it had already been. So this, this is an, over an hour in the water. And after about an hour, hour 10, they found the man off the back. And they pulled him onto that rescue boat and they brought him back onto the ship safely. And here's the thing. Yeah, it's a good thing because, thank God. And here's the thing. During that hour and 10 minutes, every resource that that captain had at his disposal of manpower and on that vessel, every resource was focused on finding what was lost and making him found again. And you know what? We should be living like that as the church. We should be able to come together. We should be able to marshal our forces. We should be able to encourage one another. We should be able to pray for one another. We ought to be moving together on that same direction. And I'd just like to invite us to stand together across this house. And as we finish our time, I just very quickly want to invite you, if you say, you know what, Dave? I want to be a person, I want to be a church that is growing in my heart for finding the one more. I want to grow in my willingness to be inconvenienced. 
I want the Holy Spirit to, to be at work in my life with me willing to be uncomfortable. I want to grow in my ability to be to, to live an I don't care but I don't care attitude because so many of us we don't we don't go after the one more because we're so worried and I'm preaching to myself we're so worried about some, what somebody else will think of us and we just have to come to the place where in Jesus name we say I don't care. So as we finish this time, I just want to invite you, if you say, Dave, that's me. I want me, I want our church to grow in, in going after the one mores, being intentional about the one mores. We need God to work. I'm down at this altar. If you want to come and join me at this altar and just take three minutes and just say a prayer, come on down, squeeze your way out of your row, elbow your way out of your row, make your way down. And let's just take a moment and let's just create an atmosphere that says, yes, Lord, yes, to what you want to do in us. Just go ahead and put your hands out in front of you like somebody's going to give you something because I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is making a deposit within us right now. Father, we put our hands out and we say, yes, Lord, and we say, make your deposit within us. I know that there are parents and there are grandparents in this place that, that are, are dealing with prodigal sons and daughters. And our hearts are overwhelmed and burdened. And I know this church has been in a series in Colossians talking about the family. And Lord, today, I believe that you want to speak an encouraging word to these parents and grandparents that, you know what? Your prayers are not falling on the ears of a deaf God. Your prayers are falling upon the heart of a God who would leave all of the greatness of heaven and come to earth to find the one more. And so even when we can't see him, he's working. Even when we can't feel him, he is working. Jesus Christ is working and he is, he is focused and intentional about the one more and so God make us focused and intentional about the one more is in our office in our classroom on our block at the gas station at the park tonight God help us to reach out with a smile help us to reach out with a, a helping hand God, help us to reach out with our testimony and share with somebody what Christ has done for us. Help us to reach out with the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray today that our hearts would be grown for the one more, because that's your mission, and we want it to be our mission too. In Jesus' We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.